Welcome to First Presbyterian Church of Evanston. This Sunday sermon was given by Senior Pastor, Reverend Dr. Ray Hilton. If you'd like more information about First Presbyterian Church of Evanston, please visit firstpresevanston.org. Our scripture reading today is from the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 6, verses 19 through 34, in the New Testament section of our Red Bibles on page 6. Please join me in a prayer for illumination. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you say to us today. Amen. Matthew 6, verse 19. Jesus said, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust consume and where thieves break in and steal. But store up yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust consumes and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in wealth. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and body, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds in the, of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more of value than they? And can any of you by worrying at a single hour to your span of life? And why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow, is thrown into the oven, he will not much more clothe you of little faith. Therefore, do not worry saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? For it is the Gentiles who strive for all these things. And indeed, your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring worries of its own. Today's trouble is enough for today. This is the word of the Lord. Well, thank you, Abigail. This is indeed the word of the Lord to us today. And what I'd like to do in the next few moments that we have is to make this case that the state of our discipleship is revealed through our handling of money. The condition of our devotion to Jesus Christ 
is revealed, it's exposed through our handling of money. Now, I want to be clear with you. I'm not here on some diatribe that money is inherently bad. But I'm also not naive enough to suggest that money is inherently good. It is when money is elevated beyond its proper place in our lives that it becomes what I call dangerous. It becomes an obstacle in our devotion to Jesus Christ. I have to confess to you that there was a time in my journey as a younger pastor where I dreaded this season of the year and I was very reluctant to speak on this topic because it felt to me, to me it felt like I was begging. I was begging the church to do something they didn't want to do. And it felt also, as I think back on those days, it felt rather self-serving, as if I was angling for my own job security. And then one day, many, many years ago, I read a sermon by the late professor at Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary, Haddon Robinson, and he said this in his message. He said, for every verse in the Bible that tells us the benefits of wealth, there are 10 that tell us the dangers of wealth. And it dawned on me back then that failing to teach and speak about the interplay between money and discipleship, money and devotion to God was really a dereliction of my calling as a pastor. And I now believe, I now believe this with all my heart, that if we are to make disciples, then money must never and can never be separated from discipleship. And this could be the reason why Jesus, when you read the Gospels, Jesus had more to say about money than he said about eternal damnation or hell. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 21, 4, and we've heard this several times already this morning, for where your treasure is, and that's a beautiful verse, it's a provocative verse, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so what we treasure and what we, what we value is where we invest our time. I don't think anyone here would disagree with me on that. What's important to us is what we put ourselves in. And so not long ago, one of my clergy friends was asked this question, what's the, what's the hardest thing about being a pastor? And surprisingly, what this friend of mine told me, his answer to that person was, it's getting people to understand the gospel. And he said, here's why. Most of us think Christianity is a religion and that Jesus is just an ethical guide. And he said to this person, few understand grace or what it actually means to be a Christian. And so you've heard the formula before, and it may be a bit trite, but I'll say it again. Religion says, if I obey, then God will love me and God will accept me. And so supposedly within the framework of religion, it's all about what I do and what we do. The gospel, though, says I am loved and I am accepted and therefore I wish to obey. Huge difference. And so on this Stewardship Sunday, where many of us will bring our pledges and our tithes and our offerings in support of the mission and the vision of this church, I, as your pastor, I want your giving to be gospel-centered. Give because God first gave to you. 
Give because you understand the, the, the generosity of grace through the cross. Give because what we do with money reveals the temperature of our faith. So let's just very briefly look at this text and what it means to follow Jesus. First of all, Matthew 6, as you all know, is this wonderful part of the Sermon on the Mount. And in the sermon, I don't believe Jesus is rejecting money. Jesus is rejecting the subtle ways. Would you agree with me on that? Jesus is not rejecting money. Jesus is rejecting the subtle ways that money can control the follower of Jesus. Jesus then, I think in this text, reveals three choices that disciples must make. Three choices that we can make to disrupt. And I love that word, disrupt the ways money controls, money limits our devotion to Jesus and his kingdom. And here's the first one. Here's the first one. I think Jesus is saying if you're going to disrupt the beguiling power of money in your life, treasure the heavenly more than the earthly. And if, again, you know me, I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles. Don't trust me. Read the scriptures. Look at verse 19. Jesus says, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Instead, store your treasures in heaven where moths and rusts cannot destroy and thieves cannot break in and seal. And that's the choice we have to make, right? At the center, I think, of every soul, there is something that we all treasure. There is something that I find extremely valuable. In fact, if my house were to caught fire right now, there is something in my house that is so important that I would risk fire and, 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 and danger to make sure that that treasure is with me as I exit the burning home. What does it mean to treasure something? We all have something that we treasure. It is the conviction that a certain thing or a certain person can fill our hearts with beauty and the value of it. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. To treasure something is to say, if I have this thing, if I just could get this thing, Everything, everything is worth it. And I'm wondering this morning, are you honest enough to tell yourself, you know what, Pastor, I do have something that I treasure on that scale. But listen to me carefully now. All of this breaks down in the face of what I call transferability. And let me tell you what I mean by that. When my wife and our little tribe moved from western Pennsylvania to the big city of Chicago, we were able to transfer some things from Pennsylvania to Chicago. We were able to transfer our meager resources in the bank to a bank here in Evanston. We were able to transfer our furniture and so many other things from Pennsylvania to Chicago. But what Jesus is talking about, there's another kind of transferability that you and I will never be able to accomplish. What we treasure on this earth will never be able to tra be transferred into the bank of heaven. C.S. Lewis said it this way, that the only thing you can take with you when you get to heaven is what you've given away. And I know, I know, I know that sounds very upside down. 
The only thing you can take is what you've given away. And the problem for some of us is that we've never given anything away. Verse 20 says, put your money and your treasures in heaven's bank. And if our treasures are deposited anywhere else but in heaven's bank, we will suffer loss. I was reading in National Geographic magazine several years ago how in the summer of 79 AD, Mount Vesuvius exploded and buried the vibrant, the once vibrant city of Pompeii. Many of its citizens were buried, were killed, were, were literally vaporized beneath tons of volcanic ash and debris. Many victims of the eruption, the magazine said, died carrying hordes of coins and jewelry. Several years ago, construction workers were laying a foundation for a building outside the city of Pompeii. And they found, as they were digging into the subterranean soil, they found the corpse of a woman who must have been fleeing from the eruption of Mount Vesuvius, but this woman couldn't outrun the ashes and the volcanic heat. And so the woman's hands, when the construction workers found her, her hands were still clutching these jewels, which, according to the, the, the National Geographic magazine, the, the jewels in the woman's hand were preserved in excellent condition. She had the jewels, but death had stolen it all. And I think that's the bottom, life, the bottom line in life. Worldly treasure is not the wisest investment because we can't take it with us. And you say, well, what is the treasure that we can take with us? And I've always believed that there are only two things we're going to be able to take with us. We're going to be able to take the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ with us because I think when we get to heaven, even in eternity come, and millennia after millennia in the presence of God, we will still be singing the wonder of this lamb who gave his life for us, that will never be taken away and we can transfer that. And the second thing we're gonna be able to take to heaven with us, it's the people that we shared the love of Jesus with, the seeds that we sowed in the hearts of men and women as we traverse this life. We will be able to take those two treasures with us, but everything else we're gonna leave behind. Jesus gives us a second way to disrupt money's control over our lives and our devotion to him. And Jesus essentially says to us in verses 22 and 23, I want you to develop healthy eyesight. Develop healthy eyesight. And notice what he says, the eye is the lamp of the body. And so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. And I've just been asking the question over and over again I've, I've been, as I've been thinking about this, why does Jesus place this, this what I call a cryptic statement about the eyes right after talking about money and the heart. Inquiring minds want to know, being able to see is critical to everything. Imagine trying to drive a car with poor eyesight. Our eyesight must meet a certain standard for driving. 
It must be possible to read the signs ahead. It must be possible to see that pedestrian crossing the street. It must be possible in our peripheral vision to see what is going on, to detect the dangers around us, a car that might be overtaking us to the left or even nowadays to the right. From a spiritual perspective, though, Jesus is talking about what? He's talking about the eyes of the soul. The eyes of the soul. That's where we run into problems with this world. Without spiritual insight, we fail to see how easily deceived we are with money. Without 2020 spiritual vision, we equate money with security. We use money for approval. We use money for control. We use money to say, look at me. I've got seven figures in the bank. Look how important I am. We use money to feel safe. And Jesus says, look, that is, that is exactly what you're going to do when you're blind. So I went back to 19 through 21 again, and I noticed that without spiritual insight, we end up, here's what we do without spiritual insight, we end up investing in the wrong bank. We put our treasures in the wrong bank and we fail to see that what we're doing with our treasures right now, it, is, it can be stolen, it can rot, it can be eroded by inflation or we're going to die and we're going to leave it behind. And then when you jump down to verse 24, you see then that without 2020 spiritual vision, we confuse ourselves into thinking well, let's see, money, Jesus, Jesus, money. I think I could do both. I think I can serve two masters. And Jesus tells us, uh-uh, get that thought out of your mind. It's not possible. We can't serve God and serve money because here's what's going to happen. We have to declare our allegiance. And we're going to either love one and hate the other or we're going to hate one and love the other and we must make a choice. But in order to do that, we need to develop that healthy spiritual eyesight. Many Christians today lack that kind of discernment when it comes to money. We, and we just join the rest of the culture. And we use money to buy stuff that we don't need with money that we really don't have to impress people who really don't like us and we don't like them. Unhealthy eyes when it comes to money. Here's a final way I think Jesus is helping us today to disrupt the power of money to control us and to limit our devotion. Jesus says the best way to live, the best way to live is to invest not in the earthly bank but in the heavenly bank because you can only take two things with you. The best way to live, Jesus says, is to develop deep spiritual insight so that you can see the deception in this world the best way to live is to live by faith and not by fear. Jesus knows how easily infected his disciples are by fear. And the question I want to ask you, and I ask myself many times, is what keeps us from trusting God with our treasures? And maybe one of the things I struggle with sometimes is, well, if I give, I don't know if God's going to provide. What happens if I give and I find out that I don't have enough? 
And this is why Jesus said, and if you have your Bibles again open, if you just look with me at verses 25 through 30, I know Abigail read it and you heard it, but just look at it one more time. This is why Jesus said, therefore I tell you, he knows how prone we are to fear, and that's why Jesus says to us, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more value than they? And can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your span of life? And, and, and why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon, in all of his splendor, was not clothed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field which is alive today and tomorrow is gone, it's thrown into the oven, will God not much more clothe you, O oh you, of little faith? There it is. Little faith, big fear. Little faith, big hoarding keeps us from being open with what God's given to us. You know, it's funny when Paul asked the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and he asked the church, I want you guys to support the church in Macedonia, rather support the church in Jerusalem because they were so poor. You know what he did? He never manipulated them. You know what he did? He pointed to the self-emptying act of Jesus. Jesus vividly depicted hanging on a cross, and he wrote to them in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. He says, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. For our sake, though he was rich, yet for our sake he became poor, so that we, through his poverty, might become Rich. That's what Paul appealed to when he asked the church to give. Another way to say it then is that Christians need not worry about money because the cross is, is prima facie evidence. It proves that God cares for us and God gives us security. And when you know that God provided Jesus for you, then you know this, you know this that God then will freely give us everything. If God can give us his greatest gift, everything else is peanuts. God will give us all things that pertain to life, and you will then be able to focus your life on verse 33. Look at me at verse 33. Verse 33, one that we should memorize, but seek first the kingdom of God. So I'm going right back to where I started. We're, we're not going to be able to do that if money controls. And in order to do that, we must then say, God, you own it all. You own it all. Seek first the kingdom of God, and above all else, live righteously, and God will give you everything you need. And I'd like to suggest to you that that is the reason why the early church was so successful Last week, I read a fragment of a, of a second century letter that was written from a man by the name of Diognetus, who was trying to explain to the skeptics of his day why the early Christians were turning the world upside down, why people were just shocked at the way Christians live. And there's a line in Diognetus' letter that I want to say, I want to share with you. He says, here's what we Christians do. We share our table with all 
but we do not share our bed with all. He said, in other words, what he was saying about the pagan culture is that the pagan culture was promiscuous with their body, but they were stingy with their money. And he was telling that pagan culture, but in the, on the other hand, Christians are stingy with their body, but they're promiscuous with their money. And imagine a city that is filled with that kind of generosity. Imagine a city that is filled with that kind of Christian, it's going to be a healthy, Christ, a healthy city. Imagine a neighborhood filled with that kind of person, it's going to be a healthy neighborhood. Imagine a church that is filled with that kind of person, I'm telling you, it's going to be a healthy church. And that's what we want to be. We want to be a healthy church that is knowing Jesus Christ and growing in him and serving him, and making disciples around the world. That's what we want to be. But in order to be that, we need for all of us to respond in unison to the opportunity to support the ministry of this church. Let me close by just sharing a quote from Henry's newsletter to the church this week. If you haven't read it, open it when you get home. He said, look, now is the time to step out in faith toward the future that God is calling us to. God is doing a mighty thing here at First Press. The signs are all around us, and if you've never given before, now is the time. If you've given in years past, now is the time to give more. And I did hear this. I was actually in the meeting when this was said, but he quotes one of our elders, Dwayne. Dwayne did the math concluding that if everyone who gave last year gave $400 more than they gave la the last year, we would have the capacity to turn our aspirations and our dreams into something that is tangible. And the analogy that our elder Duane gave went something like this. He said, two Starbucks lattes a week that's how much it would amount to over the course of a year, $400. And then I thought to myself, when I look at my bill that I spend on Wi-Fi per year in my home, it's more than $400. So I know we can do this. I know we can do this, especially if we're doing it in love. I know we can do this. You can give more than, if you can give more than an additional $400 this year, then make it happen. Step out in faith, not fear. Step out in faith, not fear. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and all of God's people say, Amen.